Your product makes me hard luck. Makes me Good afternoon and welcome to the Hard Luck Show. I'm your certified, qualified West Side host, Steve Lucky Luciano. It's a beautiful day in Vernon, California, in Vernon, my friends. In yes, Vernon, indeed. California. Welcome to the greatest show on earth. On my right, my co-host is Chumahan Bowen, American Indian, elegant barbarian, Southern Californian, here to interview Bobby and Ben. Yeah. That's it. Scalps in here. Yeah. And on my left, sound man, old blue eyes. Sean Lewis, certified audio professional, engineer for the hard luck show. Ah, shit. Damn. Look at Sean's pop locking. He's a pumped up and burning. Break today. dancing. Dude, All Sean, right. you're going to break your headphones doing Sean, the break slow dancing. Down, slow Come on, down, slow, slow down, 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 dude. Easy. Your nipples are going to fly off. Easy, cowboy. Yeah, take it easy. All right, Turbo. That's hot. We're <laughs> a little bit pumped up in Vernon today, yeah. aren't we? Fuck. And we have good reason to be. Yes, we do. There you go. Why are we pumped up? <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck? Man, I've been trying to get a couple gentlemen on this show since we started doing this. Uh, these are some peers of mine. I used to work for these gentlemen. I'm a big, huge, huge fan of their brand. Everything these guys got going. If you look at pictures on my Instagram, most of the hats you see on me are from the hundreds. Yeah. That's because we're at the hundreds corporate office today. We're at their headquarters and we're going to have a talk with my friends, Ben and Bobby. Welcome to the show, Ben and Bobby Hundreds. Yeah. 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 Thank yes. you. Indeed. Thank you. Thanks, I want to start by saying I appreciate you guys um, making some time today for us. I know how busy you gentlemen are out here in Vernon and all over the place. A little and everything bit. You're into. We're all busy. Yes, we are. But um, Man, I'm just really, really happy to get here. Get I here just want to—I just want to let them know that this is not a podcast. <laughs> just straight out, this is not a podcast. Yeah, let them know. Right, the the, the negation that uh, that you guys are so famous for. I read your book. This is not a T-shirt. Thank Excellent you. Yeah. book. Lots of people love it. I tried to find a bad review on Amazon. Couldn't find one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Couldn't find one. You guys' scrub team got rid of them. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh and uh also i wanted to let you know that i'm dressed i don't normally dress like that when we do the podcast right. but um given that you guys bailed on a law career i thought that i would wear my suit <laughs> down to the i went to pepperdine which is loyola's uh you know it's a competitor yeah. competitor moot yeah. court yeah moot court. did you ever do moot court no did you guys do that no i no. didn't i wasn't <laughs> smart enough <laughs> oh, come on <laughs> yeah it's funny gonna... when when we walked in right now i thought you were the sound guy dressed, <laughs> dressed in a suit yeah. yeah no no i'm just uh i'm just the loud lawyer guy american indian guy that's what we did so steve how do you know you these can't guys? Hear him? i can't hear ben on my right. on my head can't we need to hear ben i can hear ben you can, I can hear ben i can hear ben okay so how do you know these guys steve let me tell you i these gen okay um 
I was running a brand, um, and it was about 2004, and I was uh, kind of strategizing, you might say, an exit, and um, and a mutual friend. Uh, I had been watching what the Hunters were doing peripheral. Um, they were doing th- some things that were real different in in L.A. St- streetwear. Um, or let me start by just saying they were just doing something different, man. Um, when I when I saw them, they were putting out real, just real cool stuff, and they had a voice immediately. And I was watching them peripherally, and a f- mutual friend of ours, Nick Leo, was like, "Hey, man, um, I want to introduce you to these guys." They're off of Fairfax. They're they're building this brand, and he told me a little bit about him. And and I, as I said, I was exiting another larger brand, and I came and I met uh, Ben and Bobby, and we sat down and talked. And um, the company was did was they know, pretty small. Did they know Bobby? Did you know Ben? Did you know who Steve was when he came down to meet you? Had the you legend, know? the legend of Lucky. Yeah, <laughs> I think just from being around the neighborhood and and the community, yeah. Yeah, like we knew of, and, and of what Lucky was and what he stood for. What was the obviously? Legend? Uh, that's big luck. That's big luck. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't I mean, even he was know a if fixture I, of that. Like we would see him at the trade shows. Um, obviously, what? knowing knowing his work with Supermax, right? Like just being out in LA and working in street where you can't avoid that, right? And um, everyone had nothing but respect for him. Now, I mean, did you guys only? Did you ever go to Supermax and only buy clothes, or were you buying other things at Supermax? I, they weren't, I wasn't I even a, a yeah. like we were so young that it was just it was gone by the time we got got in the mix really yeah yeah yeah, yeah. right because because who have we talked to that said the best place to to get their their oh that their was their medicine uh, was that that was that was, that was actually <laughs> Scotty Khan and we were doing a uh, collaboration with Supermax and and Bobby goes to film him and the first thing out of my was like well, first I want to say that I used to buy all my weed at Supermax. <laughs> Gives it up in the beginning, but yeah. Right, yeah. breaking new ground in medicinal herbs <laughs> before anyone else had come up dispensary. with it. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I showed up over there, and um, and we had kind of we had kind of talked, and um, you know, we were kind of playing with the idea of me possibly coming on to help, maybe strategize and help them with with some sales and stuff, and and yeah, and then that ended up kind of going that ended up going down, um, and. Uh, you know, I'm just going to say, I'm going to say something real early on. And that's that I, you know, I had my own brands for a while and, uh, and I came up through apparel, um, with a very, uh, sales, sales, sales type of, of, um, that was just kind of what was, was put into me, you know, and, and some of the brands that I had success with, it was all about sales and it was all about numbers. Um, and the more you could bring in, obviously, the better you did financially if you were uh, if you were a commission guy like I was. But the owners of the brands and the higher ups would just you, you couldn't bring in enough for them. It was all about sales. Mm. And I remember when I came and I sat down with Ben and Bobby, they were like, "We love what you do, but we kind of want you to do that in reverse with us." Mm. And I remember you guys saying something to that effect. And early on. You guys had um, an integrity about your brand. You had a vision about your brand. You shared with me a long-term plan about your brand. Mm-hmm. And I, some of it I understood in forms of cleaner distribution, but some of it I wasn't able to. And this is why I say, man, I really learned so much about brand building and in, and in long-term 
having a brand and like it wasn't just about numbers for these guys these guys couldn't be impressed or moved by the amount of sales that i can bring in mm -hmm. that's not why i was brought into that job right um it was really about um understanding and supporting their vision and I don't, you know, can, I can't put it all into words, but they were the first guys that I'd met in apparel that weren't like, dude, go get right as fucking the biggest orders you can get us and get us in the biggest accounts. And it was like, that no. is not what they wanted. Yeah. It was, they wanted the opposite. opposite. Yeah. What, did, yeah. what did you want, Bobby, uh, when you took Steve on board? What was it in him that you saw that was interesting? Well, Steve, well, Lucky had the connections, number one. He right. had the wherewithal and the experience of knowing how to navigate sales and we were very green in that sense because we're, we're we basically taught ourselves how to build this brand and at that point maybe we were four years in yeah, at yeah, most like yeah, we were still kids we started this brand when we were 23 so maybe we were 27 and here we had this experienced vet in the industry who had he had made a lot of money and become very successful in his own right and made other brands very successful what we needed out of him was to uh, commandeer just that sales role, but also do it in a way that made sense with how we like to cultivate and, and, and work with our brand, which is just building everything very organically, authentically. Like we were never in a rush. Like we still aren't. Right. We're all about just um, trying to live as long as we can, or just trying to sustain, you know? And uh, he understood that right away. He understood the importance of us basically just trying to... Um, have, make an impact out there, but doing it on our own terms and not right. letting the sales get away from us. Ben, did you see anything apart from what Bobby just laid out for us? Like, did you also see anything? Because, like, I look at Steve, I think LA. I mean, that guy is mm -hmm. LA embodied. Yeah. Well, um, I, I mean, the big, biggest thing that Lucky brought, and I'm just going to echo what Bobby said, is the experience. And, like, we really didn't know what we were doing at that point. And we we're still trying to figure it out. And uh, I was doing all the sales pretty much myself. I had a little bit of help with Scotty, um, but we brought Lucky on to like try to help us grow, but grow like the way we wanted to grow. You know, we weren't looking for Macy's business or PacSun business, like those really big retailers. And um, we knew that you know Lucky, he was he is one of the best salesmen. He had an incredible he had an incredible track record. And like our, we were, and we still really push, we're a Los Angeles brand and uh, Lucky like embodies all of that, um, all of that energy and mentality in him. And so he was like a, a great figure to, uh, to go out there and rep the brand and sell the brand. All right, Steve. So here you've got the confidence of these young ingenues who have given up a <laughs> lucrative career and lost in law in order to sell T-shirts and, 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 and outpace Garmentos. By the way, real quick, Bobby, what the hell is a Garmento? I read your book and I'm like, Garmento? I, I could Google it or I could ask Bobby from That's the That's actually maybe more of a, an older term that Lucky knows better than even we do because we came up in an industry where a lot of the rules were being broken at the time and there were... Um, we kind of looked at clothing a little bit differently than the generation before that was built on top of these big urban labels out of New York and, right. um, and, and, you know, their garmentos are associated with factories and family owned, uh, um, big businesses that are, um, I thought it was you know. a character in Dungeons and Dragons or <laughs> Worlds of Warcraft. I'm like, Garmento. All right. So Steve, you have the confidence of these young ingenues. Then what happens? 
Um, we keep this show real, real honest. Lucky don't hide behind none of it. But listen, you know what? <laughs> listen, man, these guys had a lot of confidence in me. And, and I, to be absolutely honest, man, they had more confidence in me than I had in myself. Really? And, you know, we came aboard at a time where I was going through some real, real personal struggles in my life. And um, in my heart of hearts, um, I, I was able to show up for a moment, man, but I was really going through some changes in my life, man, and I was having a hard time, and, and we tried, and and we had to take a break kind of early on, man, and I could not fulfill those shoes um, until I, I got my shit together. So early on, we, but we bridged, and what kind of happened was I kind of stepped off of the sales thing, and I got to come back and get my shit together a little bit. And yeah. then I came back as more of like a consultant, helping these guys out with bigger collaborations with Scotty Khan and June Cha and like Supermax. And we started like working together. And it was um, it was more of I was working as a consultant with the brand and helping them build them. And I think, uh, you know, for, a, you know, these guys were on fire, man. And um, I say to people this all the time. I go like, these dudes are the hottest. They're the, the best streetwear brand in the world. Right. And they're going to be around for a long time. So. They've already been uh, around for you. a long they time have. in the street, in they, the streetwear world, right? It's been absolutely. how many years? It'll be we're turning 17 in July. So. Damn. Yeah. Like Damn. I was sending the book. I love that number. So, yeah. Um and so <laughs> these guys these guys, you know, we we tried and tried and these guys, man, these guys went out of their way. They fucking put up with a lot of shit. Everybody loves 17. Everybody does. Yeah. And and um we had mutually made a decision that they needed to move on and do what they needed to do and I needed to figure out what I needed to figure out and well, let me ask a question real quick and I know uh, the listeners are going to hate me for asking this but yeah. I got to yeah. let's cut the shit when you guys had to tell Steve Lucky Luciano like hey you know what maybe we better part ways were any of you guys were you guys nervous we got scared a little bit I don't know if it happened necessarily I like know. that. It I don't know. I don't know think something? it happened like it that. It didn't yeah. happen like that. I, I I bowed out. Yeah. I was so I told Bobby Look, man, I'm gonna. I didn't want to even make it that type of situation. Right. I didn't want to even leave it out there like right. that. Yeah. It didn't go down like that. Beautiful. I was like, I'm gonna bow out, man. Thank and, you, uh, thank yeah. you for not making us do right. that. Right, right, because right. Because Lucky could have still been working here. To the same <laughs> we would have never. We're like, what do we do with this guy? We can never fire him. I, I love, I love these yeah, guys, this would be man. Lucky's office. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> these guys seen me. These guys have supported me, and we're sitting here right now, man. And they supported me through a lot of difficult mm. times in my life, man. And and even when I started running another brand, these guys have just always supported me man i just love this brand and i think wherever i go in apparel everywhere i went everybody knows like yeah like he's down with the brand but he loves the hundreds like those are his yeah. dudes like i'm gonna do anything for these guys right and i'm always gonna i just love them and so this kind of happens man it's like uh these guys had a plan and i watched a lot of fairfax and streetwear from los angeles yeah pop up and come up and a lot of those guys were more of where I might have come from. And it was all about the numbers. I'm going to be the biggest. I'm going to do the most business. And, and these guys really held their composure, man. And I watched these guys not get dizzy with all of it. Because there was a point in time, man, where the world was showing up at Fairfax. And it was all about streetwear. And yeah. streetwear could do no bad. And a lot of people got dizzy. And a lot of people got consumed with themselves and with mm. everything going on. And I watched these dudes keep their composure. And I think what I saw in Ben and Bobby was something and a trait 
that I always wanted to have. I always wanted to have an integrity about the way I did business, you know? Right. And about and who I worked for and how I handled my business. And I got to see these guys model that. And you know, I always tell these guys how much I learn from them and they're like, what are you talking about? Humble. Humble. And I did, man, I did. I got to learn. They're the best guys that I've worked with in business. Um, I learned so much from them about branding and, and look at man, these guys were younger than me. They came into the game after me, but right. I learned so much from them. And even as I move forward to build Supermax, there's some things that I put into place that I learned specifically from these guys, you know, and there's, yeah. um, there's, there's, these guys operate and they value themselves and what they do. Right. And I've always kind of been a guy that I'm kind of like lowering the value or used to. And yeah. these guys, these guys stick to their, it, I just like the way they do business. And the hundreds are here, and they're not going anywhere. <laughs> right. And that's what's going on. And yeah, here that we was, are. That was one of the questions that came up for me, for you guys, both you, Ben, and Bobby, was, mm. um, first of all, uh, can I ask you a question you probably never heard before? Is she, sure. Is streetwear dead? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How many times do you hear that? Or We hear it every, every year. Yeah. yeah right. Every single year. We've been doing this for 17 years, right. and streetwear died uh 17 times at least right. uh, in between there i remember when this is a kind of a very loose memory the only association with this podcast it happened in santa monica when we opened uh, right before we opened a store in santa monica we threw this big party it was actually for a collaboration with garfield and uh we're throwing this raging party and i'm upstairs on this balcony and i'm looking down at it and i was standing next to mark the Cobra Snake, who was a big photographer back in the 2000s in LA, kind of documented the cine space scene that like Dim Mac and Steve Aoki came from. And Cobra Snake was standing next to me, looking at everything going on. And um, he and I aren't necessarily like good friends or anything. He just happened to be at the party and he looked at me. He's like, damn, and I thought Street War was dead. And that was in 2010. Right. You know, the right. rhetoric already at that time was Street War is dead, Street War is dead. And um, I think there's a lot of reasons why people are always itching to to utter those words, um, they is wanted it, to it die. To, but is it to keep people from getting into the business? Is it, <laughs> is it, a, is it a protective measure to be I like, think, hey, keep everyone out? I think it's streetwear is so anomalous in that uh, any other business um, sector would have imploded by then. Right. The whole uh, I was working on a streetwear documentary for an, a few years, and the the, pre- the title was "Built to Fail." The entire right. premise that streetwear is established upon is built to fail. Like it shouldn't work if you actually think about it. The whole point of it is to not be successful. Like to Lucky's point earlier in the podcast, when we asked him to do sales, he's like, oh, you know, I could easily walk into this store and you can make a million dollars. And we're like, no, 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 we don't want that. He's like, why, why wouldn't you want, I give you $500,000 PO right now. We're like, oh, I, Steve, don't, I don't know. How would you react in that? Did you, like you're sitting there and you're like, listen, <laughs> listen, you want to make 1.5 He understood. No, he, no, no, he no. understood. He understood the game. I, I, I did. I did. I understood yeah. where they were coming from. Right so the, from whole, the, the whole, the whole, was I excited about it right yeah. then? Maybe not. Cause I was like, okay, it what? shouldn't work. <laughs> like everything about it is uh, paradoxical. Right. And how, right. The whole point of business is to make money. The whole right. point of business is to get bigger, to gain notoriety to get as much of an audience as you can we were like no we want to like shut out as many people we want to curate our audience we don't want a big audience we want to curate curating meaning constantly like owning it and shaping the audience making it small and tight exactly what we wanted like that goes against the principles of what business looks like yeah walmart doesn't do that no No. because the entire name of streetwear's game is 
how long can we like longevity building brands with integrity with community with purpose mm-hmm. working with people not because they can make a lot of money but because we genuinely like them as people when ben and i invest in people invest in other projects or invest in even staff that we hire within the organization we hire people based not just on skill set but do we like this person do we believe in them as a as an individual and we we've always believed in lucky like as an right. individual regardless of whether he's a good salesman whether he can make us a ton of money it's just like we like lucky like we think he's a person who has a lot of purpose and passion in life like that's who we invest in so like again that goes against the principles of what traditional business looks like. And right. so street wars shouldn't last. And so everyone's always counting on it to die. They're like, well, it can't get bigger than this. Like Supreme can't get bigger than this. Like that's every year. Right. Like Supreme's so big. It can't be bigger than this. It's already, you know, all these kids are wearing it now and it's totally sold out. It gets bigger every year. Street wars just gets bigger every year and it'll continue just going more and more mainstream. There's 8 billion people in the world that we know of right now. Like that's a lot of people what there's, do you mean that we know oh of? i'm just you saying like we don't have other people we don't have proper accounts of of mainland china do like, you believe there's like a- na- aliens have landed here are you a conspiracy theorist <laughs> maybe i'm an alien no i'm just saying like <laughs> within the confines right, of china right, right, like right, there right. could be two billion or there could be six like no one really knows yeah so like i'm just saying like that we know of there's eight could be more but and there will be more and more and so it's just the world is growing. Streetwear can continue. To, it's still such a niche thing that no one's ever heard of. There's this, the sky's the limit. Ben, how do you guys make decisions? Like, do you guys go like you take in all the information, then you guys huddle up together and still make decisions together? Or how do you guys? How do you guys work that shit out? Um, there's Bobby and I have split the business uh, down the middle, and you know I, I leave most of the creative up to Bobby. And I handle most of the business decisions. And like for the day-to-day stuff, we, we leave each other alone for the most part. Yeah. But uh, for bigger decisions, yeah, we'll sit down. And, uh, you know, if it's a biz- big business decision, I'll sit Bobby down. I'll talk to him. I'll talk him through it. And, you know, we'll, we'll work through it. And same with like big creative decisions that we need to make for the company. You know, we'll, we'll sit down and it's, you know, we got, we have to work through it, right? There's a decision has to get made. And so... Um, we, uh, one of us, usually what happens is if, if we don't agree on something, one of us is like way more passionate about what, what we should do and whoever is more, more passionate usually wins out. And, uh, and that's the way it's ran, been, been run for the past 17 years. And so, yeah, that's how, that's how most, like most decisions are made. And every now and again, we'll get into a big fight and not talk for a couple of weeks. Right, like, <laughs> like, like, uh, like we're like, we're like any other husband and wife, yeah, you know? Like, well, that's then my, was my I'm next, the wife. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you for <laughs> answering. That was my next question actually. Yeah. Um, and then, so another thing that came up for me when I read your book mm. and everybody knows that, uh, Bobby hundreds names on this book. This mm. is not a t-shirt. You should go out and get it. But of course, Ben is the ghost writer. Ben's the ghost everything. <laughs> yeah, Ben's the ghost writer. Um, you know, when I was thinking about it and we're, mm. and we're talking about like, hey, street, we're going to die, blah, blah. Mm. The one thing I started to wonder about is what is the succession plan for your company? Have you guys uh, thought about that? Like after, you know, obviously you guys are going to live for 1500 years, but after that, <laughs> right. what's going to happen? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. We haven't, uh, like I've, we have both have kids and if my, if Bobby's kid boys or if my kids want to get involved in the business, of course, my dream and our, I think our dream is to 
pass this off to our family and let this be a, a family run business. It's still just our families running it. And um, we love that it's a family owned and operated business. And we say it all the time, independently owned and operated. And um, if, if, you know, if it can continue to, to be that for forever, I mean, that would be, of course, my dream. I would love that more than anything, but I, I'm not going to force upon my kids to come and run my dream, you know, and I don't know if Bobby's not going to force his kids to come and run his dream, but you know, that if, if, if I had <laughs> although, it, in a- although Bobby's kids <laughs> rooms wallpapered with the hundreds bomb mascot, yeah. right? Yeah, Adam yeah, bomb yeah. is up there on everything. You have a no. free choice, son, but everything you own, do, they, do all your kids, does everybody wear, uh, the hundreds clothing? No, <laughs> no, no, we, we don't make too clothes. Small, yeah. yeah. We don't make clothes small. No grandparents are wearing the hundred. Grandparents tra- are yeah, definitely oh, yeah. wearing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Grandparents are wearing it. I give like my kids have. uh, My son wears a back. I have a backpack. We make backpacks, so he wears a a black back back to school, black backpack to school, and then like beanies and things like that. But I, yeah, we just we've never made really we've never made kids clothes. So you guys never take home like the stuff, whatever the old stuff, and try to make food out of it and feed it to the kids to stretch the dollar or anything like that. (laughs) Like the food. Yeah, because Eddie Murphy has that story where his dad worked at the Mattel toy factory. Uh-huh. And oh, they were right. So yeah, poor, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. They were yeah, so yeah. poor that they would bring home the race car yeah. tracks and his mom would make food out of it. To oh, see. It, was okay. just, it was a bad joke. Yeah, it was a bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, though? I will say is that these, like, I know what there's, okay. What they're saying is like, there's so many, and I don't even want to say that it's streetwear and apparel, man. It's business in general, man. Like, people are just pigs. They just can't get enough. Hmm. Everything's got to be over the top. Yeah. You got to make billions of dollars. And you know, if you were around with these guys, these guys, man, there's like, there's been so many different things that have been brought in, so many exciting things, and you guys always keep your cool through it, man. Hmm. And it's like, it's something that you guys always are able to do. You guys keep your composure and you keep your eye on your brand and you stay true to what you've always stayed true to the whole Mm. time that I've known about this brand. But there's been some things that have been like really like people maybe on the outside would be like, oh, like (laughs) this is it. Like, oh my, you know, like like Nike wants to buy them for fucking $6 billion or something like that. And like other people might be like, that's what they're after in life. And, you know, I've seen you guys just kind of keep your composure through all of it. Now, I just, it's something I admire with you guys. And it, in every post, in every ad, in every piece of apparel, that comes through, bro. Mm. Everything you do, it drips all the way through yeah. to the flannel, to whatever it is. It's got like this voice of integrity. Then it's L.A., bro. And mm. I have to say that, I don't know, this word streetwear really, I think each year the idea of the word streetwear bothers mm. me more and more. Why? Okay? Why? Because... um. Um, I don't. I maybe I. I mean, I might not even be able to put my finger on it, but I don't think most of what's out there is streetwear that they're calling streetwear. Um, it's not stuff that people on the street were wearing. I don't know who's wearing some of this stuff, but it's not. <laughs> I remember early on building Supermax and my early brands. I was trying to mimic brands like big license brands. You know, I was trying to do the collegiate shit but with yeah. my own name on it. I was trying to mimic, I was using pro colors and this and that. And then I wanted to do 
you know, I wanted to do Big Ben jackets and I wanted to do like, you know, yeah. all this stuff. And I remember kind of early on when I came aboard, you guys, you were you guys were doing stuff that reminded me of the stuff I was doing. It reminded me of real streetwear, at yeah. least L.A. based streetwear. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, when I see you guys most current stuff, to me, it is streetwear. And I just can't say that there's a lot of that out there that they're calling streetwear. Mm -hmm. I hear this term streetwear and I see this stuff and I'm like. I don't know anybody that would even put that shit like that doesn't qualify to me. <laughs> it just isn't. So the the idea of streetwear, like the, what? The word. Like what the hell? Like because somebody might be wearing it right now that's listening to it and they better take I'm that shit I'm not going to start putting out their names of brands and stuff and downing people. I'm just going to say I just think the name's gotten real loose um, with mm. streetwear because streetwear yeah. when I was when I was or, or, or getting into the game, streetwear was like what people wore on the street. You know, right? It was street well, wear, man. It was where, you know, I I just saw it differently, but you know, um, well, so listeners can uh, they can email me at chumahan at the hard luck show dot com for a lucky secret list of, of stuff. <laughs> Absolutely, I want to listen. There's a there's a story about about how the how the hundred started originally, and it was not an apparel brand in the very beginning. Can you guys tell me a little bit about it? Uh, yeah, I. Uh, Basically, it's always been a storytelling brand. So we've just looked for any venue, any vehicle to tell a good story. It started off by making graphic t-shirts, but also associating, coordinating it with a blog. And this is years before social media, before Twitter, before Instagram. This was in 2003. Um, I had already been running a blog at the time through my portfolio website. And it was just daily musings of culture that I was absorbing music I was listening to, eating food, stuff like that, brands that I was really into, clothes I was buying. And when we built the brand, it was really important that we maintain this transparent communication between us, the purveyor, and the consumer. And that came a lot from growing up in the punk scene and just having a lot of transparency and direct connection, direct relationships with the bands that were on the stage. Um, I never felt like anyone was necessarily singing down to me at hardcore shows. A lot of times the vocalist is actually on the floor with you. And so I wanted that to carry over into how a clothing company looked. At the time, I didn't know of any clothing companies where I could get that close to the owners or to the designers. Like I loved Stussy, but I really didn't even know what Sean Stussy looked like. I didn't know what his political preferences were. I didn't know what his favorite movie was. I wanted to know all that stuff because... I want if I was going to go out there and support advertiser art, I also needed to vouch for them as a person. Even if I didn't necessarily agree with all of their opinions or beliefs on things, just the fact that they were being honest with me meant something. And so we wanted that out of a clothing company. Can there be a brand that you know as well, you know the clothes as well as you do the person behind it? So when you're out there supporting this brand and wearing it, you know everything about the the people. And, um, and so we use the blog to do that. I would just write constantly. Like today I sat down with Lux. We did the hard luck podcast. This is who he is. I would tell your story. And by telling your story, we got to tell a little bit of our story. Right. I was kind of also interested in the beginning, what you were saying, um, for Ben, I, cause Ben seems like a pretty savvy guy. So mm -hmm. I'm imagining for you, Ben, like from your perspective in the inertial initial germ stage of this venture, right? I mean, you've got Bobby. And you guys are in law school. 
And we've heard, you know, how from the book, you know, this not T-shirt and all that stuff. From your perspective, did you need convincing? Did you see it right away? How was it for you to start collaborating with Bobby? Um, I mean, it was, it was like all of our idea. It was both of our ideas to put this together. And, um, I, I knew that, um, look, did I sit there and think that we were going to have a multi-million dollar business and be here 17 years later? I didn't think about it that far, but I knew that, uh, Bobby, Bobby had this idea. Look, like I'm a writer. I could design t-shirts. I could tell stories about them. And I'm like, great. I think I can make it and I think I can sell it. So let's just, let's try this project. It's always a project to start. You don't want to say it's a business, <laughs> right? right? And so it was a project to start. And, um, and yeah, no, did it take much convincing or were, we, we were on the same page from day one. We know we knew what we wanted to do. Like the way Bobby and I met, we, we met over a pair of these shoes actually in law school. There aren't too many kids in law school that wear Jordans or Nikes. Um, Bobby was wearing a pair of Nikes with the Louis Vuitton swoosh and no one in law school was wearing something like that. And, you know, we bonded over sneakers and we became friends. And then through that was early in the year and throughout the year, like we we recognized uh, each other's taste in what we were wearing and we bonded over clothing and sneakers and art and music and, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s. And so we knew that uh, our influences weren't the same, but the energy meshed. And um, by the time we were ready to start, it was, yeah, let's, okay, cool. Like but the first shirts were like a, you know, a slick Rick t-shirt and, um, you know, just cool, let, uh, the hundreds uh, with cool lettering and um, yeah, you know. It was it, like w colors were important to us. Matching our sneakers uh, was really important in 2003 and 2004. Right. So we had to pick colorways to match our sneakers. We put them up on Nike Talk. Like, no, we were all well, like from the beginning. This is, you know, like, this is our T-shirt project. And we, we were on the same page. And I like from the book, I gathered a little bit that there was some resistance a little bit um, from Bobby's family and to his artistic endeavors and all that other kind of stuff. Mm. And then probably they breathed a sigh of relief when you went to law school and they were like, oh, at least he's in law. <laughs> but for you, when you started talking, you know, you were in law school and then all of a sudden you've got this project. Was your family, were they skeptical? Um, well, they thought it was still a project up until, <laughs> uh, up until we were done with school and... I still remember, you know, the day when I got the letter from the state bar saying you didn't pass the bar mm. and going to my parents and saying like, <laughs> hey, you guys, like I didn't pass the bar. And they're like, OK, you're going to take it again. Right. And I was like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not like I have I have my business to run. And both of my parents were like, what? Like, what are you talking about? You know, and um yeah, no, they did not. They did not get it. They like you're going to be an attorney. Like you're, you went to law school. What are you thinking? Um, they thought that it was just like a fun little, you know, t-shirt. Uh, up until just a few years ago, Bobby and I joke. <laughs> Bob, Bobby and until I joke. Like, I have three hours ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bob, Bobby and I joke about it all the time. That like our parents still like, oh yeah, they have a t-shirt company. <laughs> and, uh, they make t-shirts. It's like you know, it's cute, you guys. You yeah, it's cute. And yeah. um, 
And the little Bobby, he has a little Benny, he has a t-shirt company. And I like to, as my mom tells her friends. Put him like, in a little joke. Yeah, so they, uh, they, no, they weren't in the beginning. No, not at all. Yeah. Not until like we got our own office. It, you know, I was talking to our landlord over on Fairfax the other day and uh, we're chatting about a whole bunch of different things. And at one point, you know, he came up, you know, I still remember when you signed that lease 15 years ago, you had to have your dad co-sign for it. Oh, you know, yeah. like I had to go to him to, uh, to co-sign the, the lease on the building on Fairfax, but he was not stoked and he did not think that we should be doing that. But, but now you're co-signing he, leases for him. Yeah. I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it was, uh, for, for both of us. So look, we we're both kids of immigrant parents. Right. Um, and, uh, they, they, you know, my, my dad worked really hard and, uh, made a living for us and wanted his son to have a, a, a good living also. And he, like all, I think all immigrant parents want their kids to be a, a lawyer or a doctor, right? You know, a right. doctor is the dream. And if you can't be a doctor, you should definitely be a lawyer. You know, it's one or right. the other, like mm-hmm. anything besides that, like, no, don't do it. You know? And, uh, I was down the path of becoming an attorney and I, and I jumped ship right. and they were not stoked. So, so Bobby. Yeah. All right. Let's just get down to it. Yep. All right. Let's stop playing games. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's be real. All right. How, when your family finally was like, fuck, I guess Bobby's a successful motherfucker. Mm-hmm. Right. How good did that feel? Um, it felt pretty good, but I'll be perfectly honest. It didn't happen until very recently. And what what caused that? It, it it kind of happened actually around the book release. It was the first time that I think my parents had a proper understanding of what was going on. So now I'm talking last year. That was in our 16th year of business. So 16 years in, they came to my... Uh, my mom was out of town. My dad came to the book release his eyes were really wide and the next day he texted me and said uh when your mom gets back in town can we come by and check out your office they'd never visited my office wow any of our offices this is maybe our third or fourth office so like they've never visited my office they've never been to one of our stores never been to an event and i was like uh i mean it's awkward for me too i was like why do you want to come to the office? They're like, I don't know. We kind of feel like we need to see what's going on. I was like, (laughs) yeah, sure. So they came that following Monday at lunchtime and they were very impressed and meeting everyone for the first time. Employees were coming up to me like, your parents are here? Like, this has never happened. Right, right. And I was just like, yeah. So... How did uh, that feel? It felt good. It felt good. Was it it emotional for you? Like super emotional? Yeah, but I think I'm past the point of... I I need I mean, everyone needs their dad's validation right right like right. as long as he's alive I'm gonna seek his validation so yes very emotional and very weird for me but I've also I'm almost I turned forty Ben and I turned forty this year okay and so I've done a lot of work to get past the point where I need their validation right I think my teenage years my twenties all the way up into my early thirties even I did a I, I was it was very hard on me that I didn't have my parents support for a lot of things. And, um, you know, I've been married. I have kids since then. I have 
friends that support me. And so I don't necessarily rely on them for that. So it was nice, but it wasn't something that I needed as much as I think I needed in my 20s. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, I will yeah. tell you that it was it was very emotional for you. Me when <laughs> his parents coming to the office. Oh, yeah, I love yeah. it. It was. How was it? For, how was it for, yeah. So Ben, from your perspective, like, what did you see? Like, you saw them coming. You knew the whole backstory, right? Oh yeah. Like, <laughs> so it was, now that was, was a huge. He knows. Day. Yeah. Like, I, and I, I don't think Bobby told me until that day. And like that morning, he's like, well, "Oh, my parents are coming." I didn't believe it was happening. He's like, "Oh yeah, my parents are coming," and I'm like, "What the hell are you talking yeah. about?" There's, I'm like, "No, what? When? Why? What? What? Like, what happened? What? What's going on?" Yeah. Ben starts and cleaning up his office. He's like, hey, this place in order. <laughs> no, like I like I like greeted him at the front and like walked him through with Bob a little bit and like, yeah, no, it was super emotional for me too. I could not believe it. Yeah, that was a, that was that. it was a great day actually. I mm. love that. Yeah. So, yeah, because I was also not just thinking it from like a point of validation, but also a point of accomplishment, meaning that you stay true to your guns, Mm -hmm. you kept going, and look, it wasn't a guaranteed thing. People have been telling you streetwear is going to die every day, right? And whoever's idea it was to throw a black tarp over your stuff to try to create some Mm -hmm. buzz on your early work or whatever, right? So it was touch and go. And then for you to be able to hang in there because immigrant parents... I mean, let's be real. They're stubborn. Like yeah. they're they're tough. Yeah. That's I mean, that's why they left home to come here. Yeah. And so I was thinking for you as a sense of accomplishment, like I made it this far. Like yeah. I didn't need the validation, mm-hmm. and I still kept going. Was there a sense of accomplishment inside? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I'm very proud of us for of Ben and I for even getting this far. We had no blueprint. The kids who start brands today, they have blueprints. Right. They actually have a benchmark to hit. There is a let's say Supreme, there is a Supreme out there that is a billion dollar valuated company, mm-hmm. right? There's companies like the hundreds out there that people are like, oh, so you can sustain in this industry for 17 years. It's a viable living. Right. But when we were starting, the brands that we looked up to were complete independent artist projects that were, again, built to fail. And so there was no foreseeable future. There was no career path dedicated to having a streetwear brand. It was very much a counterculture in that sense. It was like how I compare it to how surf was in the 60s and 70s. If you were a surfer, you're basically marrying the ocean. You're saying, I'm not going to be a part of society. I don't have a career. I'm going to figure it out as a beach bum and just live off the land. Right. And to parents, that was frightening. Sure. You know, and then they built an industry around surfing and the same thing happened with skating. Skating, there was no, you know, at the the time there weren't skaters like Paul Rodriguez or anyone who would set up this milestone career around skateboarding. It was just like, oh, you're gonna be a skater. You're gonna basically burn out by the time you're 35. You're gonna live in an apartment for the rest of your life. You're gonna sleep on a mattress in the kitchen. Right. Like that's what a skater was. And then skaters built an infrastructure. Now you can be a very successful person being a skater. So for our generation, that was building a streetwear brand. Streetwear brands were meant to last only. You know, you had a window of six years, seven years tops. You're gonna make X amount of money and just kind of burn out and die. But we were so passionate and believed so much in what we were doing we only saw the immediate surroundings we were like this is working for us right now we know in 10 years this might not work but we don't care right now right now right now and it was that mentality that ended up building the infrastructure and an industry around streetwear because there was a lot of other guys and girls who thought like us along the way that were like we don't care we don't care if there's no career path here we don't care if there's no blueprint we just want to do this right now. That's how much we believe in it. And enough people got together and did that, that we're like, oh, now we just set the pace for an entire industry. Right. Yeah. I remember early on, like early on, um, Bobby would kind of hit me up or 
Ben too. They were both kind of coming together and hit me up and they would hit me up about LA history, either artists or brands or something to that effect. And I remember um, early on, I was, I, I was like, yeah, you know, I can reach out to this person and kind of how it was brought to me is like, we want to tell this story. Not only do we want to collaborate, but we really want to do a true collaboration. What they wanted to do is they wanted to maybe reach back in time, bring something back up, make a little more modern with a little twist, but tell the story of this, you know, of, of, of this either brand or person or body of work that was around this classic body work and educate um, a different maybe fan base, if you might say, or customer mm. uh, on this. And and so I, he kind of was brought to me, and then I got to really see it happen with like um, with like a June Shaw, who was somebody who really wasn't even a classical. This guy was a, nobody really knew who he was. We both really liked his artwork, and that was what the hundreds were doing. It wasn't about like can we sell a bunch of stuff. It was like hey, we're gonna tell the story of this person, right? And um, we did the same thing with Supermax, and I got to watch. Because Bobby had an audience, and he was like, "I want to educate this audience on L.A. culture, on on these different mediums, these different artists, whether they be photographers or graphic artists or painters or whatever they might be." Um, and that's what he was able to do. So it was a, it wasn't just like creating some product and putting it out there. There would be a buildup, and he'd he'd start to introduce and tell you the history and story of this person. And then you would get like some product, some limited edition product that you could get into if you wanted to. But they, the way he executed after I saw it happen the first time, I was like, this is dope. Because this guy's taking the time to educate a whole nother generation of people about what was maybe going on or what shaped and molded to where it is now. The people that actually started shaping and molding it. And, you know, it's like, um, and I talk about this a lot. There's a lot of talk these days about the West Side. Mm -hmm. And I'm working on a couple projects, you know, film, documentary. And, right. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to educate the world on, on, this, on, on the West Side and the Four Corners of how it used to be when I grew up. Before Whole Foods, before Google, before all this stuff was going on. Um, and I feel like it's my job, Chumahan and Sean as well, to preserve and tell these stories. I don't think they're going to tell these stories in history books. I don't think right. they're going to write them. I don't think that they're going to teach it in school. And I've taken it upon myself to be able to start telling these stories and preserve them. And even bigger than the West Side, L.A. in general. Um, and, I mean, listen, I, I've believed in Cartoon and Esteban since the gate, bro. Since I was a kid, we got into business together because I thought this was the greatest photographer and the greatest artist. And it was like, <laughs> we're L.A., let's do this. You know, we represent. And... It's come to fruition, you know, maybe not in that order, but I'm, I'm back trying to continue to tell these guys stories and involve them in my stuff. And I see that with the hundreds, man, over and over and over again, that you guys stand by L.A., you stand by Los Angeles, your political views, your, your, the, the history you dig into, the, the classics of Los Angeles and mm. this landscape, man, and, and everything that we've gone through politically and through through race and color and, and all the stuff that we've come up against in los angeles and here we are you do that this is why i, I mean i love you guys mm -hmm. but i love the hundreds the brand that's bigger than what you guys are 100 yeah what is what i love man and and it's true man it's like 
I remember, I remember, and I told you something about this a long time ago. I went to a, a seminar. This must have been, this is even before I came to work for you guys. I went to a seminar, and it was in San Francisco, and Ralph Lauren's doing this seminar talking mm-hmm. about polo. And he was talking about, like, when you can, he was talking about the translation of wearing a little guy in a polo shirt and how that makes you feel. And when you put that on, something happens, and you feel like you're part of that. Okay. Yeah. And hmm. how you guys have accomplished that with the atom bomb. Yeah. When I wear the hundred stuff, I feel like I'm representing you guys. I'm re- representing two guys that have integrity, two guys that are family men, two guys that stick by their word, two men that show up for their friends, that love what they do, um, that have a bigger plan, that subscribe to something larger than themselves. That's what I feel like, and and it's true, man. When I when I wear the hundreds, man, I have people come up to me like, "Hey, dude, Bobby did that," and they want to start telling me history of the brand. So I'm like, yeah, absolutely. It's like to to transcend that, bro, and to be able to do it. And I'm a fucking fifty two year old man, and I'm a fan of the brand still. And when you were asking like, or or or, 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 or older people, like the great thing about the hundreds is I can't tell you how many times I've been to like little league games or and I'll see like a. I'll see like a, a 12-year-old Grom all 100 out. And like his grandfather's like the doctor or attorney from Beverly Hills, you know, in the 60s. And he's wearing like a 100s baseball cap or a sweatshirt. It's like there is, you can't put your finger on it, man. It's like everybody finds their place and their product to get behind with the 100s. Right. I mean, that makes total sense. And that goes along with the community building st- stories not stores right Right. yeah Yeah, exactly and the thing i was gonna ask you based off of what lucky just laid out there was what do you see happening in los angeles now i mean let's let's just admit it you got a juris doctorate in los angeles the both of you yeah you both curate a ton of of culture so what do you see is happening right now in los angeles um yeah we talk a lot about this so uh just rewinding a little bit to lucky's point about us really putting LA on the map as much as possible and talking about it as much as possible. Uh, when we were starting, LA has always obviously been one of the biggest cities in the world, very instrumental in culture and moving culture. Uh, the culture that we were attracted to in the early 2000s, a lot of it wasn't necessarily, the needle wasn't really being moved by Los Angeles. It was really coming out of New York. Uh, street street fashion, street culture was really popping off in in Harajuku, in, in Japan, in Paris, in London. L.A. had a little bit of a scene, but not to the point where we thought it should have. You know, it was very much dedicated to, like, Christian Audigier fashion. You know, that's like Ed Hardy Von Dutch. Uh, <laughs> I remember the Von Dutch store on yeah, Melrose. Yeah, this is, like, early 2000s. So, like, Juicy Couture was a thing. Paris right. Hilton reality shows were very big. Right. And L.A. kind of had this asterisk on it at the time of just being a little corny. You know, it was, like, a very cheesy place <laughs> to be from if you were, like, I'm from L.A., people weren't like they were like oh it's like famous celebrities but they weren't like oh you guys are driving culture right and but we knew within our immediate circle of friends that there were so many talented young artists musicians designers chefs um people that weren't necessarily getting the recognition because we didn't have the platform so we said we can we'll build the platform so we will bring the spotlight over to us if the other media organizations that are all all the cool media is based in new york if they're not going to talk about la then we'll start talking about la that's the beauty of the internet we have the web on our side we can start creating our own media 
forum to do that with. And so that's why we told so many stories about LA and continue to do so. And now we're at a point 17 years later, like in 2020, where LA is very much looked at as a capital of street fashion, um, of food, of innovative food, of right. art, right. Um, with freeze happening here now. So there's uh, a lot going on. Here. And, and all the different neighborhoods, our boroughs are also contributing in their own way. Right. What South Central is doing in the wake of Nipsey's passing, um, what the West Side is doing. Um, it, it used to just be like certain points of the city, but now you can be like downtown has its flavor. The East Side has its flavor. Echo Park has its like everyone has their own thing that's going on. And so like our geographical expanse contributes to this. Like there's like hundreds of different worlds that are all just pumping their own flavor right now. Like there's nowhere else in the world that looks like that and can behave like that. Right. What about you, Ben? What do you see as trends for the future in Los Angeles? And I don't just want to make it just about apparel either. I'm just, you've been here long enough. You studied the creature. What do you see? Where do you see it heading in terms of even politic politics or business, whatever comes to mind? Um, uh, this city is growing and changing so fast I uh, I live in the middle of the city uh, off of Highland, and if you, five years ago, my street, is, it's a completely different street, up and down, you go up and down Highland, you go up and down La Brea, um, in a matter of five years, like the city, it, in a weird way, like it's grown taller, and I never thought that New York could ever be New York, I mean, I'm sorry, I never thought LA could be like New York City. And I don't know if it'll ever really be like New York City, but it's on its way to becoming its a version of it. And um, that's what I see really like the biggest change in L.A., that there's just it's becoming so dense and you see more people walking. You see uh, more neighborhood uh, shops and uh, cafes and more people like walking there and spending time in their neighborhoods and yeah, of course, there's still a million cars in this city, but um, I, 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 I feel the, you know what, what it's going to be is once they put that subway into this city and people really start using this subway, like this city's going to change even more and that it's going to make it, I think that it'll just be denser. And I like, you know, I, I, in my head, like all, a lot of friends that Bobby and I have worked with over the last 17 years from whether it's San Francisco, whether it's uh, from New York, from Chicago, from all over the world, from Europe, you know, everyone moves to LA because they want space and everyone wants to come to LA. Well, two things, weather and space, right? but um, they, they want a house and a yard and they, or they want like a bigger apartment, not a closet like they had in New York. Right. And um, I, in, in five to 10 years from now, like they're going to be moving to LA and like, they're going to be getting a closet. Cause right. like, exactly. you know, like that's, that's the way LA is becoming like yeah. just small apartments and, uh, more expensive. Small, yeah. Yeah. And it, the city is it like LA used to be, I, I look, I haven't rented a, uh, thank God I haven't had to rent an apartment in, you know, 10 years or so. And when I talk to some of these kids, some of the guys that work for us and they tell me the prices on, apartments i'm blown away yeah. by how expensive Scary. it is how expensive is it is to live in the city and um yeah it's a that's that the city is becoming a like a a very big la again was a big city i think it's becoming like a very big city right in front of our eyes and it's happening so fa in the last 10 years right. it happened so fast 
Do you attribute that to uh, Silicon Beach, like this influx of tech money that's come down virtually changed Venice? I mean, Venice used to be funky and now it's nothing but like <laughs> yeah. high-priced boutiques. I mean, do you think that's a major factor? Um, I think that that is a factor. Um, I think that uh, I think that L.A. I think that L.A. has been undervalued for so long and people finally are realizing like, shoot, there's so much going on here. Hollywood, it's still like it, Hollywood. We're Hollywood. There's right. nowhere else yeah. in the world. Yeah. Right. We are Hollywood, right? right? Like LA. And I don't think people appreciated um, like the, what, how much is going on here. Absolutely. I think the tech world and uh, everything going, Amazon, Google, content creation is at the center of a lot of the LA growth. Um and so, yeah, like, yes, I, uh, uh, Silicon Beach and, and techno tech and the web and internet and all that. Yes. It definitely plays a part in it. And I think it's, it's even more than that, you know, and have any of the tech giants, I mean, you don't have to say the name or anything, but have they ever tried to partner up with the hundreds or have you guys ever gotten feelers from those guys to say like, Hey, we want you to make what we do. Cool. Um, like, yeah. and you're, are you saying in terms of like, coming in partnering with us like buying us and like owning us and, and partnering and with us or saying like hey let's work on something together both i mean just you know whatever um yeah we've been approached by a, a few times by some of these tech we've companies. worked with a lot yeah yeah tech companies um what I, the they first normally... one that i just thought of was yeah. microsoft we, we yeah. did a big collaboration we did a big collaboration with microsoft and um made watch faces for them i think we we're the first ones to do that uh, and was it like something internal for them like they just wanted a limited edition of, of, of yeah the it's always something like that or you know if we work with like um like an airbnb uber you know twitter instagram it's always in some capacity where it's like cross-branded something or other that's um, interesting yeah but of course because um i think the greater innovation is going to come because right now in the bay uh, where you have Silicon Valley and yep. all the apps and yep. all the tech developers, um, they aren't necessarily really rootsy or grounded in culture. Right. They want to be, but they know just how to make really good. They know how to make a lot of money, or they know how to raise a lot of money. Right. Uh, and meanwhile, down here, down south, two different things. Yeah, two yeah, different. Wait, wait, those yeah, are Ben. Ben, can you expand on that? <laughs> it like you just tickled his happy place. He was like, Ben, expand because it's two different. Why? Make because Bobby and he caught himself. It's you know, uh, make a lot of the tech companies. Uh, Bobby said, make a lot. They know how to make a lot of money, and then said actually raise a lot of money I, I think a lot of these and it's uh not just tech i think it's now it's starting to bleed into other businesses where uh, a lot of these tech companies it's not about making money but it's about raising money and raising valuation raising value, bigger valuation bigger bigger mm -hmm. bigger and um you know but no one's I, actually profitable yeah nobody's making any money doing it and yeah. um the, it, like the goal is just keep getting bigger and then eventually someone will buy us right and then right. they and then they'll buy it. yeah it, it, it really it is. is it's it's a really hard thing that i struggle with um because that's just like it's the opposite you, of I, you guys yeah like i run a business to make i mean m like most people I, I run a business to make money and but it, it's almost like i hate to say it's a scam because I know these guys, they, I know that the, the companies, they're running good businesses and, you know, they're, they're basing all their valuation off of information. It's just a different 
kind of business than the way I am. So it's 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 hard. It's, I don't. But I, I think the frustration is that that story is often what gets celebrated and published. And we don't hear the other sides of business. It's a very sexy story to see a founder who's 23 years old raising a billion dollars. Because now all of a sudden you're thinking, this 23-year-old is a billionaire. It's not necessarily true. And so we're only getting one side of what this story looks like. And business is very complex and complicated. There's a million different ways to skin a cat. Right. right? And you can have a Chinese restaurant on the east side of Los Angeles that is making more, bringing more money home to that chef in the back than to whoever that 23-year-old is on the cover of Forbes magazine. So like, right. but why don't we hear those stories? Like those are the stories that we're interested in. That was part of the impetus behind writing the book was here's a story of a couple guys who just make enough money to really live. Like we live well, like we take care of our families and take care of our staff and that's it. Like, right. but it's, we're not going to be on the cover of Forbes with like, oh, we raised billions of dollars and, but we're very happy running the business the way it is. It's just not going to ever be the sexy story that you hear about. I just wanted the kids to know out there, young entrepreneurs, young founders, that to understand that the business story, the success story can also look like ours. And it's a very meaningful way to go about your career, even though it's not talked about. Like, I'll go out there and talk about it. Like, this is an option as well. So don't think you are a failure if you don't raise a billion dollars or you didn't sell your Snapchat for hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, if you made, you know, $100,000 this year through your company, that's great. Like, that's an amazing story, even though it doesn't get written about. Listen, bro, it's really, really easy, especially in this day and age, to say the shit that Bobby's saying. Hmm. It's easy to say that shit, bro. I'm telling you right now, I know what has been dangled in front of these guys' eyes. Right. I've, I know. I know. I know, man. He does. He does. And these guys <laughs> did not go for it, bro. Right. It's easy to say that shit, man, but let somebody walk in with a fucking $30 million check and say, I want to buy your company. Mm. Right. And most guys are going to be like, I did it once. I can do it again. I'll just take the check. And that's it, bro. And these guys didn't, man. And it's like that you just don't find that, bro. And this is why I love these guys and this brand because a lot of people can talk the talk, but I ain't met that many. And like I said, again, I'm 52. I've been around the block a couple times. I've seen some shit. And a lot of people can talk about it, man, you know? And and I know you get what I'm talking about because you're one of those guys that I look to like that too, man. It's like there's a bigger purpose, you know? Right. It ain't about just that. And um, yeah, man, it's let me get this right. Now, San Francisco, New York, what other locations at this point? Are there any other locations for hundreds retail stores? We actually only have Fairfax. We only yeah. only have our LA location. We closed San Francisco right. uh, last year, year no, a couple of years, two years, two years ago. ago. It was in the book. Um, yeah, and we closed uh, New York a few years ago, three years ago, and San Francisco two years ago. Yeah, and Santa Monica closed uh, like right around the same time New York closed. So right now we just have our Fairfax store. Um, we were originally the original store was on Rosewood, and we moved the store to the corner on Fairfax two years ago. So now we're on the corner of Fairfax and Rosewood, and we've been there for the last two years. And I, I, my goal is to try to keep the store there forever. I love it. And so then, uh, it, now in the book, you guys did have a brush with Tommy Hilfiger there for yeah. a second. Yeah. So what was that about? Like, how did that come about? And then, uh, I mean, I read the book, but a lot of the listeners, sorry, I mean, I, I is, is it 
I'm getting an awesome look from Ben's face. Yeah. It's, it's, no, uh, uh, it's a friend of Lux. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> is that true? I mean, yeah. I know you guys have a thing, but I didn't know that that was the kind of, so what, how did that go down, Steve? Oh, God. <laughs> no, I mean, like, it was cool. It was, uh, I was working with, uh, I was working with his son, um, and we were developing a brand uh me and his son and me and the dad got close and uh i think me and the dad got on better than me and his son mm. and um and i introduced them uh, i was constantly talking about the hundreds i brought his son over and it was like he these had kids a, wanted to his, build a streetwear brand his, his son had been to the shop a lot bobby has photos of him mm-hmm. uh pre-tattoos Right, like with right. N- with not a single tattoo. Wow. Okay. Um. And so he used to come around the brand a lot. And so I, I, his son was familiar, but I know Lucky was good friends with, had become good friends with Tommy over some time, and I think had talked about us uh, enough over X amount of months or years. And Tommy was like, "All right, let me meet these guys. Like, let me let me talk to them and see what's going on over here." Mm. And um, we met with Tommy a few times, um, and he introduced us. He brought his team on. This guy named Ken. And, well, you're good with names. Yeah, uh, oh, that's I, why he's I, sitting here. <laughs> I only remember Ken because I, I just saw his name on a on a piece of paper. Never no. reveal your tricks, Ben. Yeah. Never reveal. Yeah, uh, but uh, and Ken and Tommy met with Bobby and I uh, uh, more than a handful of times, and uh, over six months to a year, we we went back and forth on uh, yeah, on trying to make a deal happen and right. But you guys you know. portrayed in the book, uh, Tommy Hilfiger's portrayed as like a really great guy. Who oh my really God. Is, I, I love, yeah. I love Tommy. Right. I, I, yeah. Honestly, if I, if I wanted to text him right now, or if I shot him an email right now, he would respond. Yeah. He's Absolutely. never, he has never not responded to me. Right. He always responds. Uh, me and too. if I want, if I wanted a phone, if I wanted a, a phone call, if I asked him for some advice, he would give it to me. Like Tommy's always been, um, very generous. I, I'm a very big Tommy Hilfiger fan. He is a he is a great person. I have nothing but great things right, to say about course. him. He is, he is awesome. Man. Well, and, he, he's portrayed um, as generous with his time with yeah, you guys. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I I, I yes. don't have any complaint. Like no. I honestly still don't believe that he it's Tommy Hilfiger. Right. You know, like I don't know why he would ever care to, to keep a conversation going with me, but he did, and he he was he was very generous. Even when we were done talking. And we, you know, didn't end up making a deal with Tommy. Um, and I still needed some help or I had some questions or I needed some guidance. Like Tommy helped me a few times, you know, he was, Tom, he was, Tommy was, he's great. I, I, I love Tommy Hilfiger. Absolutely. I still check in with him and, and, and every now and then I'll get a call out of nowhere about something. Yeah. You know, there's something somebody needs or link up from, from him. And, and he's very generous and, and absolutely, bro. I've got nothing but mad respect for that guy and he's been nothing but a gentleman with me um and, and bobby he was in your documentary right he was yeah, yeah. built to fail built to fail yes. the documentary never came out so don't go searching what? for it <laughs> i did too and i felt bad because i never found it i'm like shit i didn't find it but at least i found some clips and in one yeah. of the clips Tom yeah, yeah, yeah. Figures right yeah. there, there like, is a, there is a great line i wish the movie had actually come out because he talks about how he invented streetwear what yeah he said i, I said how did he never said that to me he's just like i invented streetwear and I said, who, how did you, where did you, how, why? And he said, he said, Russell Simmons told me that I invented streetwear. So then the next interview I did, I went to Russell Simmons and I said, Russ, did you say this? And he said, I did. Tommy Hilfiger 
invented streetwear. And I wanted that to get out there, but then when the movie went up for sale, Russell Simmons got popped for a bunch of Me Too allegations. Sure. And so we had a hard time selling that movie because no one wanted... He was a he was a recurring character in the movie, and we would have had to open it back up and got it. edit him out, and it just got so messy. So, the but movie so never what, came out. what was what was Russell Simmons' story then about how Tommy? Did he tell you like yeah? So Tommy was sitting there, he saw a guy on the street, and he goes, "You know what? I'd wear that." That's he just said wear. that Tommy was the first one to make aspirational like polo type wear, but brought it down to a street level. Well, Polo Ralph Lauren had always created this lifestyle of like this snooty upper brow preppy look, and uh, but it was never really meant for a younger audience, a browner audience, an urban audience. Right. And but Tommy was the one who looked at that and said, "Actually, the kids on the street, uh, I want this to be accessible to them." So he was the first one that married the idea of this highbrow lifestyle this aspirational lifestyle and then presenting it in a way packaged in a way that young people could get into it so that's what russ said and and tommy tommy said the same he was just like yeah i recognized what was going on on the street and i wanted to give that to them and so i don't know makes sense sure everyone has their as we talked about earlier everyone has their definition and understanding of what streetwear is is. right the definition that history who did it who made it I could tell you a completely different story because I, I grew up on the West Coast. If you grew up on the East Coast, you can tell that story. I grew up on the mm-hmm. West Coast. I'm going to talk about surfboard shapers. I'm going to talk about Dogtown. I'm going to talk about, um, you know, what was happening on the West Side. I can talk, right? Like, there's so many, there's like Latino culture, Chicano culture. Like, that is not going to be in, if you talk to an East Coast kid or East Coast guy my age and you talk about what streetwear's roots are, he's not going to talk about... Sure. You know, Mr. Bands and Dog Supermax. Like he's not going to talk about fucked and extra large and fresh. He's going to talk about what he knows about. Yeah, yeah. of course. And yeah. so Japan is going to say the same. Japan right. will probably be like, oh no, the Godfather is Hiroshi, and you know, and then it goes to Nigo and Jun Takahashi. Like they're going to have a completely different expression of what streetwear is, which is kind of like the beauty of it because yeah. everybody can take the, have their own yeah. interpretation. They have their own history yeah. that they're going to follow on. Yeah. Um, have you been just the? I, I, have you been watching Sean's face during this conversation? It's like, I know because it, he's having a conversation on the podcast, but it's just with himself. <laughs> he's like sitting there, and his eyes are popping, <laughs> up, and then he's like touching his chin, and then he's stroking his chin. And then he's like, you know what I was saying? I was actually thinking about something, and uh, you, know, you yeah. guys, you guys are about the same age as as me and Chumahan. Mm. Um, maybe a little younger, but you remember growing up the brand champion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to me, that brand was always, uh, it was kind of like Hanes almost. Yeah. It was never really big. And now it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And now they have like a place on uh, La Brea. Yeah. yeah. Like they're really going hard. Yeah. What do you, how do you think what happened? Uh, I think personally, I think it has to do, well, there's a a bunch of things that you have to do in order to get it to that place. The brand had a legacy at a certain point. If you survive long enough, you have a legacy and heritage and a history. And then, um, so you need that number one. Mm -hmm. And then, and I think they pretty much stayed true to what they were always about, which was just basically like basic sportswear, Americana sportswear. And then, um, they linked up with a brand like Supreme. 
And Supreme started doing collaborations, co-branded projects with them. Supreme also wants to work like we do. We like to work with heritage brands because there's a lot of rich storytelling there. So both of them had something to benefit from that relationship. Champion wanted to be relevant to a new generation, younger audience. Supreme wanted to further plant their roots in as far as making them look like a heritage brand. If they work with other heritage brands, then Supreme starts feeling more mm. like a champion, like, wow, they have a heritage. And so that synergy together did very well as yeah. far as like a collaboration sells. And from that point out, people started associating, oh, champion got the Supreme cosign. So champion must be as cool as Supreme. And then the third part of it, I think, is that you just have the right people behind that license or the right people behind that company who look at the opportunity and go like, all right, now let's step on the gas. Right. And they just like took it to the next level. Because sometimes that happens and whoever's running that license or that company just doesn't know how to follow through. They don't recognize the opportunity. But whoever, and I don't know who these people are, but there were people smart enough back there going like, okay, after we get this Supreme run, like we got to follow through and like really Mm -hmm. punch hard right now. And they did. I'm not going to lie. Like as I'm sitting here wearing a champion hoodie, um, (laughs) I, um, when it first started happening, I did not understand it at all because I looked at it the same way you did. I'm like, what champion? Like that's like a Ross brand. I know. Like I used to buy that at Ross. Like that's like, you know, that, why would anyone work with champion? I did not, I did not get what Supreme was doing. It, it like, it totally lost me. I didn't understand it. And Supreme worked with them for years. years. Yeah. And the first couple of years, I'm like, this is so whack. I cannot believe that Supreme is doing <laughs> this. Like, and little did I know, like I, I'm the, you know, I was wrong. You know, right. but that was it, also maybe because you grew up on the West Coast. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. On the I, East I mean, Coast, Champion, like all the music I grew up listening to, is New York hardcore, and it's like I got into Champion because all the New York hardcore youth crew bands were Champion. Yeah, which is where I think the affiliation came from with Supreme. No, too. I remember talking to one of our friends from New York and saying this to them, saying like, "I do not get it. This is so whack. They're whack." And he's like, "You don't get it. Like, all of us grow grew up skating." in New York city and everyone wore champion in the nineties, like as a kid, like it's cool to us. Like it was cool to us, Hmm. but on the West coast. Yeah. For me here in LA, like no way. Right. I I didn't get it. So yeah, I, I've the way, what you're saying right now, I was questioning five, six years ago when, when it was first happening. West coast too. So I, I I don't understand that. So yeah, that's, that's amazing though. Yeah, it is they, amazing. They, 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 I mean, it's and champion is cool. Like, yeah, yeah. kids I, are learning. My every my kid, who's my older son, who's ten, thinks champion is the same as like a supreme. Interesting. He well, there has, you go. Yeah, yeah. He's just like champion's cool. Like he'll see someone wearing big like, daddy. That's a really cool brand. He thinks it's like Gucci, Supreme, Champion. It's all the same For thing, right? That's interesting. Which was exactly what they wanted, and they got yeah. it. Yeah. And <clears throat> going back to Sean, if you'll notice. Um, on his very masculine physique, Sean, <laughs> modeling. Couldn't help but notice. Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Sean, don't get jealous, Ben, that uh, your wife Bobby is noticing <laughs> Sean. <Yeah. laughs> uh, he's wearing, he's modeling a shirt, uh, Angeline, uh, who is the LA icon, billboard hustler lady, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Angeline. Did you, you guys did a, you guys did, made something with Angeline or did you yeah. guys have Angeline? Yeah. How yeah. did Very that go? Talk about that. Very early on in the brand. And yeah. again. It's gotta be 10 years ago now. Over 10 years. Yeah. I think uh, right when Rosewood opened. So. Oh my gosh, where are we? 2000. 
Yeah, yeah probably over 10 years ago. 14 yeah, years right. ago? And like did, 13 years ago? Did she show up in her pink Corvette? No, so I have, again, <laughs> talking about how much we like to emphasize LA history and trying to talk about and, and enlighten, educate our, our audience on what LA's story is. Yeah. You couldn't, like, Paris, I mean, uh, Angeline was, like, the original Paris Hilton, the original right. famous for being famous. Like, right. yep. you wouldn't yep. have Kardashians if you didn't have, 100%. like, the question of, what did Kim Kardashian ever do besides make a sex tape? Like, how did she get famous? It's like, Angeline invented that. Right. The right. self-promotion model. Totally. And so, we were, like, that legacy of hers was kind of waning within our generation, and we wanted to remind people of what she had done and how much she meant to LA culture at the time. So we just reached out to her. It was very simple. I mean, it still is to this day. If you find her, you can pretty much work a business deal out with her just face to face. Oh, we did. Yeah. And she worked out a business deal and I left like $240. Yes. Yeah. She's, <laughs> she's very, very persuasive. There was years after our project was done. Yeah. I th- she emailed in someone from her camp emailed in and was like, Hey, you owe us money. You guys put Angelina yeah. on a t-shirt. <laughs> like, yeah, right? Like, yeah. four or five years later, still working us. You never paid us. for, Dude, we paid you. Wow, this she's a hustler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, she was. Yeah. I mean, we met with her for like 25 minutes because she's going to do the podcast or yeah. whatever, right? Because we're on the same vein you guys are on, which is like, let's, Steve's whole mission is like, let's preserve. So we met with her uh, at the Rock and Roll Denny's yeah. over on Sunset. Like, I didn't even know yeah. there was a Rock and Roll Denny's. I didn't know that either. <laughs> right, uh, really? I didn't know that. Rock and Roll Denny's? Like I a lost. Rock and Roll Ralph? You didn't know that? <laughs> Which, where? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Tell them, this is LA history. Right now, you've got the hundreds here listening. Why don't you school them on Rock and Roll Ralph? Hey, Rock, rock and Roll Ralph's. Is that the Ralph? one on Sunset? The one on Sunset. Like Sunset? Sunset, like La Brea and Sunset? Right, exactly. Yes. Oh, yeah, Ralph's, okay. I didn't know. know. I mean, I know that Ralph's, but right. I didn't know it was Rock and Roll Ralph's. Rock and Roll, Rock and Roll Ralph's. Yeah. Because for years you'd go in there and, and you'd go in there at like weird hours, maybe yeah. 11 or 1 in the morning, and there'd be nothing but Hesher's rockers in there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> everybody had big hair, party in the parking lot, inside, you know. So it was Rock and Roll. And then the Denny's, you'd go to that Denny's anytime at nighttime and it would be all everybody that just played on sunset right everybody from guns and roses to la like all everybody would be in there all like big hair and those two places would be like big hair it out that's rock and roll denny's and rock and roll ralph's yeah so it was iconic because we we met angeline at the rock Rock and roll Roll denny's Denny's. (laughs) yeah we did and she fleeced us (laughs) yeah but what's interesting too is that sean i catch an email i didn't even know that they were radaring um angeline but we're doing la culture history and um, Sean's like, he came up with this. He didn't know that you guys did something. So he's, he comes yeah. up with this whole thing. Yeah. Dude, this, she's fucking L.A. And Truman's like, dude, she's an icon of L.A., bro. We have to do this. Yeah. So they were really brought to it. And then as we met, that's when I'm like pulling up my, my phone. I'm like, dude, hundreds did this shit a while back. You, yeah. know, like the, you know, so kind of like you said, on the same, you know, on the same page of trying to preserve and tell the story of LA history mm-hmm. from maybe a different type of a platform, you know? Always, yeah. Did she ask you, did you actually have to meet with her or did they just give you an image and say, let's... Uh, they just sent us images and I think we just chose the images and we mocked it up. I put their phone number big on the back. <laughs> yeah. Right? And then, <laughs> uh, do you have it? Yeah. You have a one of them I love that. No, and not, then, I, I just moved it out and they mouth. approved it and it was all good. And that, Oh, they approved it because I know they have a yeah. tough approval process. <laughs> at that time, maybe, I mean, that was a long time ago. Maybe it's changed, but at the time, she was really 
She was chill about it then. Yeah, no, she seemed but pretty yeah. chill. If you buy yeah. four T-shirts, it's approved. Oh, yeah, believe yeah. out of my trunk. Yeah, yeah. she yeah. quit. And a bit. You know, don't feel bad because she does that to everyone. Yeah. Oh, I didn't feel bad. Oh. I felt like I had been through a true Hollywood yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's grabbing you and she's like rubbing up against you. Did she do that? Yeah, she did a little yeah. bit. But you know, did she ask you guys your spirit animal? Did she ever ask you what your spirit animal was? No, no. Did yeah, she talk to you guys about a, a astral projection or anything like no. that? No. <laughs> We're privileged. We got yeah. the, we got the yeah. bonus. How no. old is she? Do you guys know how old she is? Like 70 70 something. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good for her. She looks great. She looks <laughs> yeah, great. She looks great. She, she's still rocking the mini skirts. Yeah. I mean, Sean and I got a complete view of what I <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she's still rocking it. She's like But whatever. see, she does that on purpose. No, I, so, I think she does stop just to it. like break, she, Come on, work. She doesn't know how to not. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't know how she not to. She doesn't know not, how of not course. to exactly. Of yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That got her a long ways. Yeah. Are you kidding me? As I was leaving, I was thinking about it. I'm like, what fucking retirement does Angeline have? Of course she's fucking hustling still. <laughs> yeah, right, and yeah. God bless her. She came in full heels. Uh, yeah. You know, no osteoporosis there, brother. Yeah. I tell you, she was fucking moving just fine. So it was really interesting. No osteoporosis. <laughs> I was talking, I was on the phone with, um, do you guys remember Ruperto? Yeah. yeah. Ruperto, right? Yeah. Who's that? Ruperto is Old a sales friend. guy. Yeah. He, he ran a shop Where is in New he? Jersey. Right. What's he doing now? He's in New Jersey. He's doing a couple things, but his kids, he's got four kids, and they're like, each one of them, one's at uh, FIT, the other one's getting ready for college. Ruperto. Uh, he's wow. this amazing dad, bro. <laughs> his other kids are just fucking jujitsu black, but like, his whole family, he's just like him and his wife are like, they're like the greatest parents and they mm. just invest everything in their kids. He's doing great. But we were on the phone for like an hour um, the other night and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to the hundreds. And he's like, dude, remember that? Because for my listeners, me and Roberto were part of a different brand. And then when I came over to the hundreds, I kind of brought Roberto over and we kind of started representing the hundreds. And he's like, so a big shout out to Roberto right now. But hey, hey, I, he, what he says is he's like, yeah. You know, you need to do a, a show on the underbelly, the dark side of fair. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, do you remember? You remember all them guys that owed money to the hundreds? That, yeah. Because they were in the oh, East yeah. Coast and yeah, they didn't yeah. think that there was, you know, back then it's a small brand. It's from LA. Right. You're shipping this product all the way out the East Coast. Right. And a lot of these guys are just like, fuck it. They're not going to come out Get here and collect anything. Here, right? Yeah. They're going to fucking hire an attorney for fucking $800. <laughs> so I remember I was going back and forth, and sure enough, man, I got the list, bro. So I'm out there, and, <laughs> and Roberto's reminding me, he's like, yeah, dude, we were in New Brunswick. Remember, yep. we had to sit and wait for that dude, Then we locked the doors, and we walked into the store, and we locked into the door. <laughs> and then he started going through all these different, <laughs> D. Murphy had a little list for me, too, out there, and like, every, these different guys were giving me, we're out there fucking, I had Roberto with me, dog. And dude, that, I, re that reminds me of that scene from fucking, um, uh, what's that Italian movie, the one where, where they, the Hells Angels come over, and then- Oh, yeah, they locked the doors, and it was one you, of those, Now bro. you just can't leave. Uh, Oh, brother. Yeah, hey, wait, wait, wait. That, that, that happened a that, couple times. That guy was shook. Yeah. He <laughs> oh. calls them telling, hey, dude, you sent like some mobster over. Or something like that. But they made up. We had a couple, but we go and Roberto picks me up from like this motel I'm staying at. And he's like, 
he picks me up. He goes, hey, before we get in the car, check this out. I got shit handled. And I'm like, all right. And he comes around to the truck. He opens up the truck. And the dude's got like AR-15s. And I'm like, dude, I can't even get in your car. I'm on parole, bro. <laughs> so we went. I go, it's not even that serious. But yeah, we were, we, we definitely, uh, it was funny, bro. It was just funny. You got a, you got a talent at that, by the way. Just so you know, that <laughs> sure, when yeah, you show up, pay. people start, you know, finding the money and writing the check. Somehow it doesn't get lost. They just know. He's like, and on the way out, you were like, hey, this is a nice pair of shoes for my son. Let me have those shoes. <laughs> <laughs> All that was going down. Oh, shit. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Right. Um, let me, let me, let me just, I just want to ask you guys something because, you know, when I talk to people about you guys, I, 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 I'm really clear. And when I talk about you guys, I talk about who you are. Mm. It's not a lot about like the hundreds and the brand. It's like, when people ask me stuff, I'm like, it's about you guys. And, I, and I, I'm always quick to say, like, how much I learned from you guys. And I watch you guys as fathers, um, as sons, as people in your community, this and that. But there was, I don't know, maybe it's because maybe growing up or maybe through a lot of time in my life, I lacked a certain amount of patience in business. And I think that that it comes and patience comes from confidence and believing in yourself and believing what you have. Mm -hmm. And you guys, you too have always stayed consistent and stuck to your guns and had a vision. You guys told me about a 25 year plan a long time ago. Hmm. And I want to know, like, where did that come from? What gave you guys the right? Mm -hmm. What gave you guys the who what was the okay for you guys to believe in what you were doing no matter what and stick to that? Because it's taken me 50 52 years to get confident in what I'm going to do whether anybody likes it or not and I'm going to stick with what I said. But you guys came into it and I admire it. And where did that come from for you guys? Is it the how you were brought up? Did somebody instill that in you or or really, because I just want to know. And is my question make sense, what I'm asking? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. You yeah. want to answer? You want me to answer? Well, you can answer. Um, yeah, I do think a, a, a big part of I was the way I was raised and how I was brought up. But I think the bigger thing, especially early on, is that we were so naive. We didn't know any better. And I think that we just were like, yeah, we're we're the best. And we're going to do this. And this is what this is our plan. And we're going to do it. I don't, it doesn't, what do you mean we can't do it? What do you mean you can't do business this way? What do you think? You, uh, why, why, why can't we do that? Why can't we put a, a black tarp over our rack? Why, you know, why do we have to, uh, we don't want to be on Fairfax. We want to be on the side street. We want to be a little bit hidden, you know, like, uh, yeah, we're going to be here for forever. Like, what do you mean? Like, we just, this is, we didn't know any better. And, uh, I think that Bobby and I just both, um, really believed in each other and what uh, the two of us, you know, I believed in him and what he could do creatively. And I think he believed in me and what I could do with our business. And um, it was like, yes, it just, this makes sense. Everything makes sense. Like, yeah, of course, like there's never, there's, there was never, we were never like, you know, now it's a little bit different of a story now that we've been doing this for almost 20 years like we've seen the ups and downs and we know how hard it is and um you know like uh, I, it, I don't know if i'd be able to do this again it's really hard it, it's really really hard to do what we have done uh but when we started I, you know we were just two young kids like 
yeah, we're the best and we're going to do this. And there's no, I have the best partner and we have a great plan and this is what we're going to do. And everyone's going to, everyone's going to come along for the ride. I think that's the gift of youth and be, and naivete is that you don't know, like we know too much now. And so we're scared. It's kind of how we are as parents. Like I don't let my kids do I'm like, Oh, watch out before you cross. Cause I know too much. Like I've seen so much horror and right. terrible things. And so, um, I think a lot of young people like us of our generation and the generations before we had that ego and that bravado to enter into situations completely blind, believing that we could really do anything. And so we did do anything. Now I believe it's really hard for kids today because even though they're young, they have the information and they have the knowledge so early. They know everything that could potentially happen. They can see what is possible and what is impossible or what they've been told is impossible. And so they are overthinking things. They're so imprisoned in their minds of uh, what are people going to say about this feedback, um, just crowdsourcing their validation. And that's the hardest thing to watch with young people now is that every kid is just like, how do you deal with doubt? How do you deal with the naysayers, the haters? And I'm like, none of us thought about that. We didn't have to. You guys have to because everything you do now comes with 50 comments. Everything you do comes with not enough likes or scores or upticks. And so we didn't do it for that. We did it just because we're like, I don't know, I'm going to try it this way. And no one sees us anyways. We're, it's basically like we were all singing in the shower. But now like you don't have the, the privacy of being able to sing in the shower and being able to germinate on something organically and authentically. Like right out the gate, you have to be perfect. Right out the gate, you have to have, to have an innovative idea. You're not allowed to make mistakes. You're not allowed to fuck up without like 500 people telling you you fucked up. Like we would fuck up and no one would see. And we would just absorb the fuck up and like continue on, learn from it, go, learn from it, go. By the time we had any public notoriety, we were like four or five years into the brand. There was like not even a photo of us until we were five years into this company. And so we just, we had the anonymity to be able to build and grow this thing the right way. And we still come from that logic. We still come from that generation of like, who cares what anyone thinks? But the kids today, they don't have that luxury. And I feel really bad for them. Do you think that that's what caused the seeming increase in anxiety, like just general anxiety in all the kids today? And everyone. I got anxiety now. I never used to have anxiety, social anxiety up until like two or three years ago. But when all day long you're just listening to mindless babble and everyone's opinions on everything and and everything and all everyone has the facts and everyone knows everyone knows everything. It's like how can you not go a little bit crazy? How can you not second guess everything you're doing? Like I don't know what's real with the coronavirus. Like everyone's saying this and that. It's just like how do you it's like we don't know what's up and down anymore. We're all walking into this world like what is real? What's not real? What are people telling are people telling me the truth? Like you end up becoming so cynical. Yeah, but Bobby, I mean, let's be real. Don't you think it was like that before? I mean, there was mm. it wasn't like there wasn't information before. Right. You did, but there was limited sources. Mm-hmm. And don't you think growing up in any family, right? Yeah. To a certain extent, you can walk around and say what's real and not real. Are they lying to me? Right. So don't you think that part of what you put your finger on is that the generalized human condition to a certain extent mm-hmm. is you got to rely on senses. Yeah. And senses are imperfect and people lie. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. It, having put that out there, what are your guys' strategies yeah. to going through that dilemma? 
Right. I again, I think we just stick to having keeping our blinders on, like uh, we did back then. I was just about to say, I have my, I have my blinders on. Yeah. That's what you do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we like, don't really give. How do a you shit. put your blinders on? Like, what do you got? Like a little mask. <laughs> how, do you, how, do how do you do it, Ben? Because there's a lot of people that can't. But I, they're listening right I just, now. I, I mean, I I try to keep a really short memory with that stuff. Like, I don't have time to worry about that stuff. Yeah. Like, right. I have big, way bigger fish to fry. I've got. I've like. I, I have to keep moving. And if I don't keep moving, like someone's going to catch me. Like we're not going to continue to grow. I'm going to, I'm going to miss out on something for the business growing the, you know, I, I have to, we have to keep moving. I don't have time to, who has time for that? I don't I like, yeah. You so know, like, what's interesting that you just posited is that the strategy to beating information overload and caring too much what people think and causing a paralysis is to have bigger fish to fry to be moving meaning you got shit to do you got responsibilities to take care of and those responsibilities take priority over being able to sit around and sort of stew on these anxieties or whatever is that what you're saying yeah i mean that's what works for me i love it yeah i I always say that the work is more important than your reputation right if you can adhere to that you're basically invincible Right. Because we're only here to do the work. And all these people can shit talk and they can conjecture and opine on what you're doing. But if you're really just there to do the work, who cares what they're saying about your character or whatever? Like those people end up disappearing. Every five years, there's like a, yep. a turnover of haters and critics and doubters and industry pundits. Right. But if you just adhere to the work and you're just here to do the work, who cares? And after long periods, long swaths of time, we've been doing this for 17 years. It's just like... The work speaks for itself. And no one remembers all the gossip and the hate and all the doubt and like what so-and-so said in the beef. Like nobody remembers that stuff, but they do remember the library of contributions that you brought to the world. Right. Like they do remember like, dude, I remember like when you guys did this and you opened this door and you made that collaboration. And I'm like, yeah, but do you remember when so-and-so went on some message board and talked shit about me? And they're like, no, I'm like no one remembers that. Right. It screams aloudest to you in that moment. In the this moment. morning, we had a situation online where people thought we'd stolen a design, and there was like some people going on our Instagram, and the kids here were, oh my god, like there's our Instagram's blown up, and people are talking shit, and I'm like, we've seen this six thousand times, <laughs> none of it sticks. Just keep moving. How like, good was it? I, I walked into lunch today. And the, everyone in the office is like, did you see what's happening? Yeah. And but I'm it like, was already over. That's the thing, too. It's just like, close your eyes just for a couple hours, wake up. It's already over. Like, move on. But had, what still I, exists you is your work. It. I missed the whole thing. <laughs> the blind, the blind Good for you. Yeah. I had yeah. no clue. I'm like, tell me what happened. What's going on? And they're like, you got to miss all the stress, too. The yeah. bigger fish to fry is the work. Yeah. yeah. It's right. the only thing that matters. Right. It's not about you, your ego, what anyone says. Fine. You're a horrible person. You suck at your job. You you're a bad designer, whatever it is, like, okay, fine, say that, but I'm still doing the work. Like, I'm still, my work is still being done. It's still being put out there. And that's what lasts in the end, it sustains. The other thing that I heard you say too, was you said you'd seen this before 6,000 times, Mm -hmm. which means that experience does also play a part. If it's the first time it's blown up in your face, yeah. you're going to fucking shit a brick. Yeah. If it's the 6,000th time and you survived it, you're going to yeah. be like, eh, it's whatever. You know, I, yeah. I think also for me and Bob, we are we both have a really good sense of humor and we don't take ourselves that serious. Yeah. And so we can make fun of each other. I can make fun of myself. Like, There aren't too many things that someone could say to me that I haven't that I haven't heard or I haven't said about myself, you know, right. or that Bobby hasn't said about me, you know, like right. we, all we do is make fun of each other all day. And so I like, we have really 
thick skin and like again like i don't it's like it's funny yeah you want to make fun of me or you want to say i suck yeah i suck I don't care, like i don't what who cares right, 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 right. i think right. mind, mind yeah. your own business man like i don't you know we're just we're very grateful that we get to do this every day right like it's kind of ridiculous that we get to do this like i'm working right now I'm like talking to you guys, but this is work for me. Right. You know, I could talk to any of my other friends who sits at a desk and works in some boring corporate environment. And like I was pushing paper all day and I was just like, I got to like bullshit for a couple hours with Lux and, you know. Right. But it friends. wasn't, it, it wasn't, but, but the thing about that is you, you, it's like a Michael Jordan thing. It sounds easy. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's fun and it sounds easy. Yeah. But you motherfuckers had to do a lot of fucking shit to get to this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We right. still, we'll still have to. Yeah, right. yeah. My, my I mean, we're job, working harder yeah. today than yeah. we did when we were twenty three. Yeah. Now yeah. they're backed up two hours by doing this. Now yeah. they got to stay in the office two hours longer. <laughs> right. You know what though? That is true. Uh, <laughs> what I will say is, and in and I'll relate it to apparel, but I can relate it to a lot of different things. I was around and worked for brands where the talk in the office was everybody concerned with what other brands were doing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And none of those brands are around. Right. They were always chasing. They never quite were able to make it happen. Yeah. And they're always talking about. It. And it's kind of like we have a friend that kind of does that. Um, in real life, call me. Oh man. Um, that does that on some other mediums that we're working in. Lots of and great it ideas. Scares me. It's, no follow through. But it scares me when I start hearing people because I and I and I relate it back to you guys because I remember you guys' attitude was just like who. Cares? Who cares what they're doing? Yeah. Why aren't we focused on what we're doing? Yeah. And so whenever I hear that, bro, I, I, you know, I take the time to tell the person, it doesn't matter if they made this and it looks like ours, if they're doing that. It doesn't matter, bro. We need to stick to what we're doing. This is what we're doing. Okay. Um, but it, what this part that scares me is that people that are doing that have the time to look at what other people are doing. From my experience, mm-hmm. I really don't hate on anybody. I'm too busy to pay to really I don't have time nor do I really care about what they're doing. Yeah. I'm all my care and concern is about what I'm doing. And when I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm on my shit, I don't have time to know about who's hating here and and I don't have time to There's hate no on anybody time. else. Right. Yeah. I'm just focused on me and and it's like it's a really good signal of where somebody's at. Mm. It's kind of like you can tell who somebody is by the way they talk about other people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. It's that same type of frame of mind. It's like if somebody's coming to you telling you about what everybody else is doing, then I'm looking at them going, what are you doing? Right. Because you're busy, you know, worried about what everybody else is doing. So I don't know, man. You guys were really confident in that when I was working with you guys. Mm. Um, and it was just a good, it was, it was something that I, I held on to. Um, anyways, I, I do. I've got, uh, I got a, one thing that I read from the book. You know what I was going to say real quick was he brought up a good point and, and, and he was talking about all the information and singing in the shower yeah. and what it sounded like is what you were talking about when you were talking about the documentary, mm-hmm. um, pumping iron. What about it? Well, oh, have you guys oh, seen so, Pumping so, Iron? No. No. Have you ever uh, seen the Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. First of yeah. all, it's probably the signature cultural uh, I know. I know. All I right. Gotta watch all right. It. I got to watch it. Pumping Iron, by the way, is done at a time, which what's so great about Pumping Iron is that it's done at a time where people were a lot less film literate. Right. Like if you film people today, even average people on the street, whatever, yeah, they already get self conscious. They already know they <laughs> right, don't want right, to look like right, a douchebag. Right, right. They know yeah. how to. But when you're doing, when you look at pumping iron, it's like back in the seventies, yeah, and that that 
you know, cell phone video culture, that hasn't hit at all. Right. So you see some real We're, shit. Like, yeah, dude, it's all being very real. Exactly, yeah. bro. And especially in the background. Like, there's some yes. scenes, and I highly recommend, Bobby, because I know... <laughs> I You'll dig such, it, bro. You'll listen, dig it. I highly recommend the scene where Lou Ferrigno is working out with his dad down in a basement, and everyone, he's huge and big. And in the background are some real fucking New York motherfucking people that are way <laughs> out of shape. And they're also working out, but they don't know it. And there's this one guy. And you tell me if you see him. He's got this <laughs> crazy kinky hair. He's got like a mustard stained shirt, huge belly. And he's just lifting like right next to Lou Ferrigno. As Lou Ferrigno, the Hulk's muscles are just getting bigger. It's the best thing. He's just like, no one will ever see this. He's like, <laughs> exactly, bro. And it's probably what was so great about it was that people didn't weren't concerned and yeah. didn't know about that you know mm. not self-conscious yeah. yeah man um i wanted to run through a, like just real short ones real quick yes. uh laura raised the issue of sustainability i believe it was in your book there was mm -hmm. an asian lady who gave a question mm -hmm. so and you get a great answer which was real honest which was like it's the first time i'm have you made any advance in that or have you yeah, guys, yeah what yeah. do you do since then we've uh we've implemented a lot of recycled shirts within our collections and uh the cool part about it is that the uh, our audience wants it. They sell really well. Right. Um, probably the best example of that we did this Hard Rock Cafe collaboration, and for the Save the Planet shirt, we used a sustainable shirt, and it was expensive, right? But people wanted it and sold sold out. So we're implementing that more and more into our collections. Yeah, we're gonna be doing some more with vintage product this year that I can't get too much into. We're actually still trying to figure it out, but mm -hmm. instead of uh, making new product, going back and selling some of our old product. That's Love been it. out. That's Love been out it. there. Yeah. All right. That was the one thing that was hanging out there that yeah. I was like, I got to ask him. I got of a couple course. other deep philosophical mm. ones, but I'm getting the, the high sign. So I, I, I'll leave it at that. I'll tell you right now, right right before this meeting, we were just in another meeting and like for 20 minutes of the conversation we were having was about, you know, sustainability, sustainability and, yeah. and, you know, the what we're planning to do over the next year. So it's I definitely it. something we're on, on top of. Yeah. Excellent. Mo you, guys. Steve, what do you usually say at the? What, what do you? Usually I want. Well, first thing I'm gonna say is I'm gonna say thank you, thank, thank you, you guys thank for you. letting us in here, man, for letting us come in and, and 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 have you guys. I know how busy you guys are and what you guys do on a day to day basis, man. You guys are busy guys, so I appreciate the time. I love you guys. Everybody listening, at the hundreds, it's thehundreds.com. Check these guys out. They're my favorite brand in America. And you guys, we're going to say adios, adios, adios.